You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. The Christmas series already. Where is the year gone? Where has the year gone? God with us. You see, it's, we're heading towards Christmas time. And it's very natural at Christmas time that churches begin to talk about the fact that in Jesus Christ, we have God come in the flesh. God break into the world in the flesh. And the reason we tend to do that is because we live in a world, right, that is quite skeptical about the supernatural and the spiritual. Or they're skeptical about the unseen. It's all science and fact. And so we tend to stress that here is God come in the flesh. But over these four weeks, I don't want to necessarily stress that it's God in the flesh, but it's God in the flesh, if you get what I mean. That what we see God with us in Matthew 1 is that Jesus shared in our humanity. And I'll put it to you that, that if, if the church has forgotten that, the traditional moralistic church has forgotten that in many ways. And here's how you can tell why. Because if we'd remember it, we would live radically differently. We would live radically differently if we understood that God gets us and understands us. See, the meaning of Christmas is that God's got flesh and blood. And what we'll see from a little baby in a manger is that then should give us the resources, at least when we're going to look at this week, the resources to deal with our mess-ups, the stuff-ups, the challenges in life. Um, Zach, my little almost two-year-old at the moment, he's got a new phrase at the moment. It goes like this, Oh, dear. And so he... Walks, walks around the house, there's a bit of banana on the floor. It's, oh dear. And then he knocked a glass off the table the other day and it smashed all over the floor and it's, oh dear. And I think it's great, you don't have to clean it up, buddy. But <laughs> everything's oh dear at the moment. And what's fascinating about watching Zach is that he doesn't, it doesn't seem to affect him. He knows the words, but it doesn't affect him. He goes, oh dear, and then he runs off to the cubby house and then he keeps playing. Oh, if only we could be so lucky, right? Is it just me or have some of you had an old dear moment in life? You guys want to come up and preach? (laughs) Get some couches out and we'll start a session. (laughs) We all have old dear moments and there's a big difference from a bit of banana on the floor to a business decision gone wrong, right? Or an old dear moment in a relationship. Or an old dear moment in an exam that we stuffed up. An old dear moment and a few words that we never meant to say. And what is it with those old dear moments? Because you notice, have you noticed how that they're in a spectrum? Like there are banana old dear moments, aren't there? There are old dear moments when you break a glass and that's okay, you get over it. But what is it about these old dear moments at the upper end of the spectrum that haunt you? You know the ones I'm talking about, right? You know, the one that has never left you after all of those years. You know, that, that, that mess up that has seeming to define you now. The mess up that you can't let go of. It's, it's controlling you. It's crushing you. Here's the question this morning. How can the story of a baby in a manger give you the power to liberate yourself from that end of the spectrum? Is that even possible? How, how does a baby in a manger help us with that? Here's what a baby in the manger helps us with. The first thing this morning is you need to understand that the mess up is not what is messing you up. 
The only way that a mess up can mess you up is if your ego is messed up. Now bear with me, here's what I'm saying here. It's not me, it's Paul. I'm just a male boy, remember? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Verse 3a of Philippians chapter 2. Vain conceit, the New King James Version has a better translation of it. It just calls it one word called vainglory. Do nothing out of vainglory. And what is vainglory? It's literally the, the piecing together, a literal translation of two Greek words. Uh, the Greek word kenodoxia, which is two words together. Two words, the first one being kenosis, which means to empty. And doxia means well, it's where we get the word doxology. We've heard that before. To, to sing praise, to give glory to. And so what it's saying here is Paul is saying, do nothing out of empty glory. Vain glory, that's what it means, empty glory. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, there was this wonderful animation movie called Ants, A-N-T-Z. And uh, there's a great scene with Woody Allen. He's playing one of the ants and he's there. He's this ant and he's lying down uh, on a little couch in the nest of all the ants there. And he says, oh, doctor, it's just, you know, it's so hard being the, the middle sibling. You know, you know how Woody Allen speaks, you know, the middle, the middle sibling of, of, of five, five million other ants. You know, I've got, I've got abandonment issues. It's just like my parents never paid me enough attention. And then he walks over to the window and you see this shot of like, like a million ants working in the nest and, and he leans against the window and he says, Doc, you know what, sometimes you know, I'm just coming to realize that I'm insignificant. And the doc says, wow, you've made a breakthrough, you are. <laughs> vainglory, vainglory, Paul is saying, is, is the breaking in for all of us in the human ego that scares you and I. That when we have a Woody Allen moment, we lean against the window, and we have those moments in quiet where you go, you know what, I feel insignificant. And if you dare to look at yourself deep enough, you go, I am. Now, I don't want to scare you. <laughs> I don't want to demoralize you because the great promise of the Bible that I'll get to, but I'll give you enough so you're not demoralized for the rest of the sermon. The great story of the Bible is that is not what you were created for. You were created to have a weight and a significance and a glory. You weren't meant to operate out of empty glory, but the, the, the fall, sinfulness, the overflow of sin is not bad deeds. The overflow of sin is that breaking in of that scary thought in the very heart of you that you're insignificant. We were meant to have glory with God. And so what is messed up about the human ego, the human sense of self, is that deep inside we sense we don't matter. And outside of God, here's what happens. It turns your heart into a Dyson Digital Slim. Now, I'm preaching on the lower North Shore, so we should know that that is a vacuum cleaner. It is the best vacuum cleaner that you can buy, according to Kristen. And yes, it's close to Christmas time, but... It turns your heart into a vacuum cleaner that here's what it does. When you operate out of empty glory, you try and suck glory from everything else. From the relationship, from the job promotion, from the bank balance, right? I'm sure you guys haven't experienced any of this, right? Like, but you see what it, it turns your heart into a vacuum cleaner. And that, friends... That cosmic insecurity, that vacuum cleaner that is perpetually switched on in you and I, that is, so, that is why we get so affected by the mess-ups. It's not the mess-up that's messing you up. It's your sense of self. It's the ego, if you dare to look at it. 
And so what we see here is the human heart, when it operates out of vain glory, is sucking the glory out of everything else. And here's how you know if you're doing something out of vain glory. If the mess up is still continuing to mess you up, then that is the thing that you may have been sucking your sense of glory from. And so the problem, the sickness we have is that we operate out of vain glory, empty glory. Now, it gets better because some of you are thinking, look, if, if, if my ego is sick, if, what, what does it look like to be healthy? What should a healthy picture be? And luckily, Paul gives us a healthy picture in part B of verse number 3. He says, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The healthy state of the human ego is actually, according to the Bible, humility. And what is humility? It meant in the Greek, it meant gentle and modest and deferral of your interests. But outside of the New Testament and the Greek word, that was always a derogatory term. It was a, it was a weak term. It was a term people would use of slaves, right? And then I'm thinking, that's not just the New Testament. Isn't that how the world thinks of humility today? It's, it's, it's weak. Meekness is weakness. You know, I think maybe the devil rhymed those two together because meekness is not weakness, as we'll see. But we, we live in a culture here where we are, we are facing cultural headwinds when it comes to humility. And the biblical humility is totally different from the way that world's, the world sees it. And here's what humility is. Humility is what you are looking at. Humility is the opposite of self-consciousness and self-awareness. Real humility, humility true humility, is the joy of self-forgetfulness. To forget about your ego, to forget about your sense of self. Let me put it this way. Look, if you walked out of here, you go, you've gone by a starting point if you're a guest and you've grabbed a great coffee this morning, you sit down at the table, you have a conversation. You're, not gonna, you're probably not going to start the conversation like this this morning. You know what? My knuckles are just bending so well this morning. <laughs> probably, not a, probably not a conversation that you're going to have. Unless, unless what? Unless you suffer from arthritis. And here's the thing, you don't go noticing or talking about knuckles unless they were unhealthy in the first place. And so you don't go thinking and talking about yourself unless you're operating out of an unhealthy sense of self. The wonderful thing about what Philippians says here is that the ultimate and the true state of humility is you forget to talk about yourself. You don't think to think about yourself. You, and so you wouldn't be looking at yourself, your own interests. You wouldn't be lo- you'd, instead, you'd be looking at other things. You'd be looking at God ultimately first. You'd be looking at your neighbor. You'd be looking at everyone else. Humility actually begins where you look at. And we get messed up, don't we? Because we're always looking at ourselves. I am, at least. Starts in the mirror and then gets deeper. <laughs> But we're always thinking about ourselves. We're always looking. We're always saying, we're always getting our feelings hurt. You know what I realized? You you can't get your feelings hurt. You know what hurts? Your ego hurts. You can't hurt feelings. You're getting slighted. You're getting snubbed. You're feeling insulted. You're feeling insecure. But true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's It's thinking of yourself less. That's why C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, 
makes this awesome observation about gospel humility at the very end of a chapter on pride. Here's what he says. He says, if we were to meet a truly humble person, we'd not come away from that meeting thinking that they were humble. That's because a person who's always telling you, you they're a nobody wouldn't be humble because a person who keeps saying they're a nobody is actually self-focused. What, what we would remember from the encounter with a truly humble person is how much they focused on us. Because humility, as he puts it, is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. You see the difference? See the difference between the world's view of humility and biblical humility? Gospel humility is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Look at Jesus. This is the guy who walks on water. This is the guy that's healing people. This is the guy that comes in and could just smash everyone around him. This is... But he's not. He, he submits. He's different. It's, it's, it's like watching. I love watching people when they ride horses bareback. You ever seen those sorts of pictures of someone riding bareback? You know what's so beautiful about that picture? When you see someone on the back of a horse bareback, who do you think is going to win in the fight? <laughs> but it's this beautiful picture of this strong, lean, um, victorious beast submitting themselves to the weaker being. Jesus is black beauty. He, he is the ultimate picture of greatness that acts small. Isn't it funny? You know, the people that act big are actually the small ones inside. He's, 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 black, he's black beauty. It's a gospel humility. It's not weakness. It's not being a nobody. Humility, it's not noticing yourself because you're not glory hungry. It's not always being worried about how you're looking. It's not being down on yourself. It's not being too up on yourself. It's not talking and thinking about yourself so much. And so here are some tests. Do you want some litmus tests? Like chlorine strips that you can sort of dip into your soul this morning. And you just you hold it up against the container. I'll give you the little... I'll get, I'll give you the little Legend of how you can tell how you're going with humility. I've used them on myself this week already. <laughs> uh, here's how you can tell. Uh, criticism, advice or thanks are, are key areas. You know, first of all, how do you respond to criticism? If you're indifferent, if you're indifferent to criticism and your pride says, oh, give me a break, you're not humble. If you can't take criticism at all or you're just not willing to listen to it, then you're not humble. On the other hand, if, if it devastates you, you're not humble either. Because humility is a greatness. It's a, you're operating out of a full glory. And so if you're devastated by criticism, you're trying to suck glory from the person that just criticized you. How do you take advice? Are you flexible or inflexible? You see, ironically, if you are super flexible with advice, if you cannot make a decision unless it's on the advice of everyone else, if you have to have other people make the decision for you, you're not coming from a strong sense of self and therefore you're not humble. On the other hand, we know, we often think that if you're inflexible and you can't take advice from anyone and you're not teachable, then that's the ultimate litmus test for pride. And then the last one, thanks. How do you receive thanks? If you're the sort of person that says, you don't want it, I'm embarrassed by it, don't give it to me, I don't want no, 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 no. It's, you actually really want it. <laughs> and yet on the other hand, if you cut people off, if they don't give you thanks, then you're not humble either. So they're, they're the tests how, how do you go with criticism and advice and with thanks? You're always oscillating between either ends of those spectrums. You see, where the healthy picture of self is the joy of self-forgetfulness. That's what humility is simply. So the last question is, how do we get healthy? 
How do we get healthy? How do we get humility? Uh, look at the verse. I don't know if you, it's so tough these days in church, isn't it? Everyone's got digital devices, so you, you can't see this. It's what I love about the, the real Bible. You know, in, in here, if you look at these verses, it's quite fascinating that you go through verses 1 through to 4 and it all looks normal. And then all the formatting in my Bible, at least here in the NIV, it, it all starts going all over the place. It's, it's center aligned. Something's happening and it's there for a very good reason. Because once you move into verses 5 and 7, what Paul is actually reciting, we think his words here, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped. We just think they're words. They're not. That section of Philippians is actually a hymn. It's a song. And so it's fascinating. Why, why would Paul go through all the practicalities and then in this he starts breaking into song? What is with that? What is with that? Why does he do that? Here's why. You cannot work on humility directly because it's a byproduct of something else. We have to realize that humility is the shyest of all the virtues. Like You only have to just look at her and she'll run away. You can never look humility directly in the face because it's a byproduct of something else. So the question is, well, what do you do? How do you get it? And that's what Paul is saying. You need to look to something else. If it's about looking at something other than yourself, if it's about being not you focused, then Paul is saying the only way that we are going to fix what is wrong with our egos is when you look to who Jesus Christ is and what he did. Verses 5 to 7 in this hymn. I'm not going to sing it to you in my own words. We'll leave that to the sons of Korah. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. In that wonderful song we see there, this passage that's referred to, this passage is referred to as the kenosis. What does kenosis mean, class? Who's been listening? Gold star. The emptying. The emptying. The whole passage is called by the theologians the kenosis. The emptying. The emptying of what? What's, what's Jesus emptying here? Is he emptying his power? No, he walked on water. He healed people. He did miracles. Is he emptying his will? No, Jesus, Jesus made his own decisions. Jesus went wherever he went. He submitted his will. He said, Father, not, your will, not my will, but yours be done. But he still made the decision. Now, did he, what did he empty himself of? His godliness, his deity? No, he was still fully God, fully man. That's, that's Christianity 101. Here's what Jesus emptied himself of. Jesus emptied himself of his glory. Who being in quality with God, in the glory of God, in the place where you and I were designed to be, he comes down and he empties himself into that. A manger, pooping, crying, baby. Something I know way too much of right at the moment, three weeks in. <laughs> he emptied himself of his glory, of his beauty, of everything that would naturally evoke honor with him. He came, he was lonely, he was poor, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was killed. He became small, not a king at all. He became rejected. He became beatable and he was beatable. He became rejectable and he was rejected. He didn't stop being God, but he emptied himself of his glory. And here's how the power works for your mess-ups this morning. Works one of two ways. The first step is, here's how it works in a mess-up, is look at the way that our God works. 
comes into a mess up. This is a right mess. This is not the world's best marketing strategy if you're trying to get the name out there, if you're the son of God, going to the backwaters of Bethlehem. Uh, he's, look at the example that he comes into that and he's still victorious out of that. But that's not enough because I don't know about you, but I don't trust my heart. My heart is a Dyson Digital Slim. <laughs> the vacuum in my heart is still way too strong. It tries to suck glory out of way too much stuff around the world. And here's how you turn that glory vacuum of your heart off. Here's how it happens. He emptied himself of the glory, not just to give you an example this morning. He emptied himself of his glory so you could have it. The great promise for you this morning is you're not an ant in an armchair. <laughs> what is it? Corinthians says, He became sin who knew no sin, that, that we might become the righteousness of God. What the Bible says is that you and I in Christ have a glory, a weightiness, a significance that is so heavy that if it materialized out of the spiritual form, you and I would sink through the earth as we stand right now. That is the weight and the heaviness and the universal significance that you have in Jesus Christ this morning. When you see God willing in Jesus to enter this cosmic mess up that was the world and in a manger, in all the stink and the poop and everything around it and the animals and the straw, whoa. No Purell back then, by the way. No hand sanitizer back then. <laughs> you, you know what it'll do? It'll, it'll give you the power and the resource to, to move victorious through your mess up. Here's how. Here's how. What does it look like? Uh, it's Christmas time and I'll never forget the scene getting ready for our Christmas services we're up the back of the auditorium and we're about to start the scene in one of our Christmas things that Mikey had all done up spectacularly as he normally does and uh, there was little Ruby Doc Manovic she was the kids of our kids pastor at the time and uh, they were about to go up on stage because her little brother Timmy was starring as, a, as baby Jesus and she lost it She's just, she's just bawling her eyes out and she screams to Greer. She says, Mommy, I don't want Timmy to be Jesus. I don't want Timmy to be Jesus. And, and it was wonderful and it was sweet because in many ways, she was one of the kids that was, she would eat all the communion wafers after the service. And so even at, even at that small age, she knew that Christmas was just the beginning. She knew what would happen to Jesus Christ beyond the manger. And, and it affected her and it transformed us, uh, transformed her. Ruby got the gravity of the narrative beyond Christmas. And that's why we as Christians, we still struggle with humility. You know why? Because you and I as Christians, those that call us followers of Christ, we look at the cross the way that my little Zach looks at the banana on the floor. We look at it and we go, oh dear. And in our, our spiritual maturity, we, we know something's wrong. But we haven't matured into the gravity of the situation. We know if you're a mature Christian, every time you look to the cross and you look at the story of Jesus Christ, it is your role as a Christian to come and to mature into the gravity of that cosmic mess up. Of that which God stepped into and what happens when you understand that he moved into the, that mess up to give you glory and significance then no longer do you operate out of vain glory empty glory fluffy glory fairy floss glory yeah. 
And, and when, you, when you move into that, does, does it mean that you won't be affected by the mess-ups in your life? Of course not. Let's not be cliched. The mess-up may hurt you, but the difference is in Jesus Christ, when you operate out of that full glory, it means it won't crush you. Of course it will affect you, but it won't crush you. That's how you develop deep humility. Is there a place like that in your life? Is there a spot in your prayer life where you can say, Oh dear, but yet come into the gravity of what Jesus Christ has done for you? What does it mean for us this morning? What next? I guess I want to talk to the non-Christian this morning because we always have a bunch of non-Christians in this place. It's what I love about this healthy place and church and the way that we talk about the gospel and who Jesus is here. We're so glad you're here. All I want to say to you this morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, will you, will you leave this place recognizing that a lack of humility is the only thing that can mess you up eternally? Because the gospel is that the only thing that can really mess you up and muck you around is to not have an eternal relationship with God. You think the mess-ups in this life are big. Wait until, what if we're right? What if these guys are right? What if there is a God? What if there is a time when he's calling everyone to account? A lack of humility is the only thing that can mess you up. The message of Christmas is God in a stinky manger as a baby. God in a manger says to you this morning, if you're a non-Christian, he says, I come to you as a baby. I come open. I come vulnerable. I come relatable. I come humble. And so he says to you this morning, is it really that much for me to ask you to come to me the same way? A lot of people say to me, Sam, oh, I don't know if I can believe in the virgin birth and Christianity and where's the scientific proof and oh, I'm not sure if I, can, if I can believe. Look, nine out of ten times, it's not a matter of science and intellect. It's a matter of humility. That overarching sense of self. He comes humble and he asks you to come humble to him. It's a fair deal, friend. The only thing that can hurt you in the long run is a lack of humility. Christian... For all of us, guys, isn't this the issue? Isn't just this the, every fight, every quarrel, every stoush, every slight, every bit of friction, both in the church and without the church? Is, is it just me? Isn't this the issue? Doesn't it all stem from a lack of humility, from vainglory, the puffing of the chest, the pride? It all, it all comes down to this. We, you and I know this, and if you and I dare to be real, all of these happen. All of these things happen because I refuse to take the responsibility to say it begins with making healthy my over, overarching sense of self-focus. That's the issue. Can't, can't we see this is what the world wants and needs, but they lack the resources to do it? We Christians know, but we don't know. We haven't, we haven't quite grown up in, in what it means for us this morning. So I guess I'm asking you too, what is, what is your old dear? Is it still haunting you? Is it still crushing you? Is it still controlling you? We all have them. We all have the mess-ups. But is, are the mess-ups still continuing to mess you up? They don't have to. They don't have to. George Michael, he had it all back to front, didn't he? He, he always sung, didn't he, George Michael, the singer? He said, you've got to get up to get down. And he had it all backwards. No, in God's way, you've got to get down to get up. <laughs> Come to him this morning. Humble yourself under his mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Let's pray.